In this episode of Full Stack Radio, David and I talked to Ian Landsman about his new project, Thermostat.io, and also discussed some different pricing ideas for both Push Silver and Kitetail. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 64. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm back with David like I have been for the last few episodes, and today uh, Ian Landsman is back on the podcast too. How's it going, Ian? Hey, it's like my third time, right? So this is, I guess, a special medal or something. Yeah, I think you're definitely at least tied now for the the most recurring appearances, except for David, but... Nice. Yeah, well, he's going to take the lead on me now, but... But he's not a guest. He's a co-host, so it doesn't count. That's true. That's true. Disqualified. Yeah, that is disqualifying. Now that you're official co-host status, that's a whole different thing. It even, like, renders your previous appearances null, I would say. Uh. <laughs> yes, I agree. I'm in the lead, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, great to be on. I like the new format. This is great. Cool. Yeah, it's been uh, been getting some good feedback. Uh, people seem to be into it. I'm getting lots of emails from people who have uh, ideas about things that we're talking about and stuff. So it sounds like people are really paying attention and interested in it. So that's a good sign. Right. Yeah. So um, the reason that you're on here today is because, you know, me and David are working on new projects, kind of early stage and kind of giving the behind the scenes look at all that stuff. And you are also... Uh, pretty early in a new thing that you're working on. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about thermostat.io? Yeah, so it's a new uh, new app. We've been working on at Userscape here. Um, and it's still, in, you know, even though we're a little bit bigger than somebody who's just, you know, solo right now, um, we're still very much bootstrapper mindset and uh, all that. So thermostat is a net promoter score survey tool, NPS survey tool. Um, that basically lets you survey your customers um, and see, or, or other people, but um, customers is kind of the classic example, and lets you just get feedback from them. Uh, kind of the thing with Net Promoter Score, if you're not familiar with it, is it sort of boils down this feedback into a single number. And so you can then have that number um, to compare yourself against or even with competitors. Uh, like this started out as a thing amongst enterprise um, companies mostly and so they would do stuff like commission an mps score on their competitors customers and things like that things that we're you know at our level we're not most people aren't going to do that right but even for yourself it's still really valuable because okay you can get this general sense that the mps score was 20 let's say which is an okay score and then that gives you something to just compare yourself against and see okay can we keep driving that up can we keep getting higher satisfaction out of our customers? And um, you know, over time, just make sure you're heading in the right direction. And what I especially like it for is kind of the negative aspect a little bit, but you know, especially in like a SaaS where you have people on recurring payments and people will stay with you for a while, um, especially B2B SaaS, where it takes a long time for a company to, to do something about leaving you. Um, so they'll pay you for a long time, even if they're totally hate you and are unhappy with your service, uh, because it just takes a long time to move. And so you don't really always know um, that you know a change you made to the pricing or a change you made to the service, like actually people really hate that, right? And so now they're looking at other solutions and hey, your sales numbers look fine, but then you know, eventually those are going to start to diminish. And usually by the time you see it in your sales numbers, 
it's too late or it's it's painfully late because they're going to keep going down until you make adjustments and then that takes a year. Um, so if you can get those insights earlier, that's going to really help you out. Um, and then also, I think for people just starting out, you have the idea of really staying on top of that. It's just like if, for you guys, right? Like it's a brand new service. Do people like it? What's that? You know, just how people feel about it and having that early baseline. Part of it is so you get the score and there's a place they can ask for feedback, which especially at all phases, but early on, I think is really important too, because people can give you that feedback of like, oh man, I thought this was like, was something totally different than what it is, or boy, it's not doing what I thought. It doesn't do it the way I thought. It's too expensive. I'm not going to go past the trial You know, all those kind of things and encouraging that interaction with the customers, which is, which is really important. So the whole thing is just one question. Yeah, basically, it sends a survey, um, and there's be a few different ways you can send the survey, but uh, it's a one question, it's a zero to 10 scale, and then there's a formula that's applied to the answers, which is kind of the proprietary net promoter score aspect. So basically, if somebody scores a nine or 10, they're a promoter. If they score a seven or eight, they're passive. And then if they score anything less than that, zero to six, they're a detractor. And so the idea being that really the most valuable customers and the ones you want to have are people who are like nine, 10, like your, your thing is awesome. It rocks people who are seven and eight. They're not really that valuable. Cause they're kind of like, they're like, uh, whatever. Like we're not, we don't really love it. Right. Like it's okay. And then everybody who's like, can't even get you up to a seven, like they're essentially actively, you know, looking for other solutions or unhappy with you, presumably in some way or another, uh, so there's, yeah, so there's a score you get out of it. And then there's those three groups, which can also be useful. Like if you have a bunch of passives, you can look at them and see how can we get them to promoters? Like how can we move them up the chain to being really enthusiastic about your product? And that is where thermostat has a secondary question. So they rate it and then they, they rate it zero to 10 and they can optionally then answer just an open feedback box. Um, and so from there, you'd be able to say, okay, the different companies will have different number of people actually take that second question. But even if you get, you know, 15 or 20% of people to respond to that, then that's where you'll be able to kind of dig down into those insights and say, let me look at all the passives and let me see what their feedback was. Okay. Like people are talking about the pricing a lot, let's just say. So maybe do we make a change to the pricing that people aren't happy with? Or is it too expensive? And maybe we do need to adjust that or whatever. You can then start to dig into the actual details and get more actionable information out of that. So um, yeah, and it's really quick. It can be right embedded in your SaaS app and it pops up or you can email a link out. Eventually, we will we will email it for you on your behalf. And that's not going to be in there in the beginning. In the beginning, it'll just be here's a link or some co- HTML code you can put into like MailChimp or whatever ConvertKit drip and send the email out that way, uh, which is kind of a something we should touch on later, kind of the premise of that part of why I'm doing this. But uh, so, yeah, you can get it out to your customers however you want and then kind of go from there. You could even have it be anonymous. Um, so you can put it up on just like a public website or something like that as well. It doesn't always have to be tied to specific people, um, which is can be useful as well. I think I remember seeing you were using like a super early version of this when we did like the Laracon online thing, right? For the different speaker ratings. So what's kind yeah. of the story there? Like how deep yep. into this were you before <laughs> trying to use it for that first yeah. kind of batch of trials, I guess there? Yeah, that was really cool. Um, and it's kind of a testament to Laravel and the sort of state of the internet nowadays uh, in terms of development and how fast you can move. Because this, so this is an idea I had for like a year or more, probably almost two years now. I've been sort of kicking this around and 
then some stuff clicked together, which we can get into that uh, made me think that this was a good time to do it. And it was like end of February. It was like middle of February. And I was like, man, you know, this would be really perfect for Laracon Online because then I could use it for the conference itself and for the speakers and kind of give it a test run at an event that I know is going to have thousands of people who could take the surveys. So I started on February 24th was the first commit and Laracon Online was, I think, March 7th or 8th or something like that. So in basically two weeks, while I was organizing this conference, um, like so in the a couple hours here and there, I got a version of it that was workable, and it was just it was just like the survey form basically in the database and some stuff like that. There wasn't much inside the app. Like if you logged in, it was kind of empty in there. But the parts where you could take the survey worked, and so uh, yes, we were able to use it for that, and it was it was amazing. Um, just to have a lot of people use it. I mean, thousands of people submitted surveys, which was great, and just gave a lot of good like test data and just like some theories I had about how the survey should work and everything. Got to flesh that out a little bit and see how people did with it. And then actually out of that, I think it was, it might have even been the day after the conference or the day before the conference. I can't remember. I was like, you know, it'd be cool to be able to share these. So I built this whole like way you can publicly share them. Uh, optionally so like with something like a conference it's really cool because all these people gave feedback and everything on the conference around this open source project and we were able to put up a page that thermostat just serves out with all the results and everybody could see that i mean a lot of people are talking about that on twitter like and be able to see the results and see what p- feedback people gave and everything so the idea of kind of publicly sharing your your surveys um you know it's not gonna be right in all cases, uh, but for certain uses, I think it's kind of an interesting use case that I haven't seen uh, other places. So that that idea kind of came out of using it for the conference, which was really great. Cool. So where are things at with it like right now? Like what are your kind of next steps or what are you trying to do with the next? Yeah. So, I mean, part of the challenge, one of the ideas, kind of a little backstory to lead into that is that um, one of the things that fit all together for me was I've been thinking about this for a year on and off, you know, and it was like, I get caught up in the pricing and what the competitors are doing and all that stuff. And then it just hit me one day. I was like, I should just make it free. Like if it's free, I don't have to worry about any of that. Right. So the pricing, there is no pricing. What the competitors have, it's free, like whatever, you know, it it does what you want or it doesn't. So uh, not that this will be the right thing for everybody, but for us where this is more of a um, experimental project, uh, it was like, oh, was, that's perfect. So it's also created some interesting technical challenges and everything, right? Like making sure we can serve it free to a lot of people without, um, you know, it costing us a fortune and things like that. So, yeah, so that was kind of leading into it. And I was like, all right, I'm just, I don't want to spend any money on this <laughs> because uh, I just wanted to be like total experiment. I don't want to have like the development staff at Userscape working on it early on because, if we spend $20,000 on that and then it turns out like, nah, it's not that good of idea or whatever, then that's all time that, you know, money that's been wasted sure. on it. So I just took my time and uh, and built it out. Plus, I've been wanting to learn Vue. So I learned Vue somewhat anyway. You know, I got, got the basics or a little above the basics down in Vue. And so it was kind of like a continuing ed project for me. And um, also just kind of feeling out, you guys know, like there's the art side of it all. There's like, you can write a spec or you can do all those things, but there's the art side of something that's 
not just a consulting project where somebody's telling you, hey, this is what we need for our back office system or whatever. This is like art to figure out what's the right feature set. How should it feel and look and all those things. And you could spec it out, but then it doesn't, you know, when you actually build it, there's just a difference yeah. there. Um, does it feel right and all that stuff. So so kind of went through that part, felt like if it was a good product and if, if I felt it would be useful. And if we were bringing something interesting to it, because there's, you know, other competitors and everything. And if we're just going to like straight copy what they do, they're probably going to do that better. So, you know, what's our sort of unique aspect and yeah, so that that felt like then we did try to unlock online, that went well. So yeah, so now I've turned it over primarily to Fideliper, uh, who works at Userscape, who's now heading up the development and writing tests, even though I try I tried to write the test first. I really did. I I tried, I was there with the course. I'm I'm in the course, I'm try I'm writing tests. I was like, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I just can't like do it from the beginning with the test. I can't do it. So so the test got pushed to the side a little bit. So Fidelber got us up to speed on the tests and, uh, you know, has been making a ton of progress just in, he's only been working on it for a week now. So he's uh, a week in and uh, already got like onboarding set up and stuff like that. So now the professional software developers are uh, taking over and, you know, hopefully we'll be, have it out for at least some beta type folks in the next month or so is the plan and get, get people using it pretty quickly here. Awesome. So you're yeah. doing this whole make it free thing, but obviously you're not going to make it free forever because right. that right. doesn't make any sense. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> not only free, like there's got to be, be some right. reason right. to make it justify working on it exactly. or it exist. So have you right. <laughs> figured that out yet? Or are you still kind of in this phase where you're yeah. playing ignorant to that intentionally so that you can at least build the damn <laughs> right. thing? Yeah. Well, kind of a straddling. Like I don't want to get too caught up with the the pricing because as you guys know you can just get down that road and mm. it's incapacitating at times but you know for us we have a little bit of an advantage i kind of see it two different ways so one is that the free version so it's going to all the like reports the ability to take surveys all that stuff's going to be unlimited and free forever like that is the commitment but there's a couple ways we can make money so i mean it's probably more than a couple but the kind of two main ones would be one in terms of the service itself Storing the survey results isn't that much data and storing data is pretty cheap nowadays. So I'm not too worried about that part of it. Um, but if we were to email on your behalf, as most of the other NPS survey tools do, you know, then you get into paying for each email, which does get expensive. So, um, so that'll be a logical place to have a paid version where if you want us to actually send the emails for you, if you want to upload your list or have us, you know, connect to MailChimp or campaign monitor or whatever, and suck in your list and email your customers that way then that will be a paid tier. And so that's like a very obvious, like we have to pay for this. It can't be free because it would just be way too expensive. Um, so that that makes sense. And I also think those are the kind of customers who are the most likely to pay. Like they're a bigger company. They're a department in a company. They don't want to deal with like even thinking about like getting a link and putting it somewhere. Or whatever. Like they just want to like connect their list and have us send it and get emailed reports. Great. Like, so that's, that'll be for them. Um, and then... The other side to it is inside the free version, there's a tiny little tastefully done advertisement for HelpSpot, which is our help desk product, which is our main product. So it's kind of dual purpose, um, engineering as marketing um, effort. And then also, which is something I've always wanted to try. So it's kind of that. And then there will be a paid version for just people who just want to straight up pay for it. So 
so we'll see. I'm really interested to see how the engineering is marketing does. Like, uh, presumably, it's going to be all or mostly businesses using the survey tool, and so presumably. Well, many of them could use a, a help desk tool. So we'll see if that actually works. I'm a help desk and surveying is tied pretty closely um, because customer support is tied pretty closely to the idea of having happy customers and improving your NPS scores and things like that. So I think that there, it's not totally off the wall uh, there to make that connection. And we'll see. I have no idea. I've never, never tried that before. So that's part of the experimental aspect of this. Also is like, if we make it free, Presumably, we will have more users than if it wasn't free, and we can expose those users to our, um, you know, paid sure. uh, help desk product. And you know, it's gonna—it's not in the way at all. It's not like interstitials, like popping yeah. up at you or anything. It's like a little tiny thing in the corner. It's there. It's easily ignored, but you know, it is there. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Cool. Yeah. So another topic that I thought would be interesting to get into that's kind of related to the whole making it free thing is you were uh, ranting right. on Twitter. Recently, no, about the uh, no. the charge less thing, no. like the the right. the, the anti everything <laughs> mantra here. <laughs> so, right. so part of me, part of me thinks that maybe this is you trying to get back at Patrick McKenzie for not talking to you at Microconf <laughs> this year. <laughs> that could be. That's right. I didn't even get to see him. We didn't gamble together. He's on my bad side now. <laughs> so what's the whole charge less thing all about? Yeah, it's kind of related to this. I mean, the freemium is sort of, it's kind of different. It, it, like these are related, but not always connected. Um, but yeah, the charge less thing is more just like, you know, I, I mean, at MicroConf definitely it came up a lot um, with people talking about, you know, you just hear people a lot like talking about like, you know, 5Xing their pricing and they don't, they want to get a lot of enterprise customers and, and things like that, which is, you know, understandable and we have a lot of customers who pay us a lot of money so i'm not i'm not really opposed to that at all obviously but i think that people are getting to the point where they feel like they can justify as a one person company that they're going to be able to have a price that's 3x the big company in your space's price and i think that that's totally unrealistic um, and that people set themselves up for failure because if you structure everything around the idea of, well, we're going to have this much revenue because we're charging 3x what they charge because our thing's superior, um, that that it just is taken as automatically true in any context. And I don't think that's really accurate, like even for us. So we have customers who pay us $15,000 a year. but But if they bought Zendesk, with the same number of users, they would pay them 90. Yeah. So now part of it is like, are we too cheap? Probably in a certain sense. Uh, but also there are people, there are customers who are price sensitive, right? And they're willing to spend $15,000 is great. They're not willing to spend 90,000. Um, and also the difference between convincing somebody to go up to 90,000 from 15, that's where the real problem is because most bootstrapper companies are not going to be able to do that sale. Like they're just not going to have the skills, the people, the ability to last on that sales cycle. That might be a year to, are they going to fly out and make those presentations? Like all those things that the big companies willing to do that you're never going to be able to do um, is what they're paying for, right? Like even if your product's the same exact thing, that company wants you to fly out to them three times to give that presentation. They want you to onboard them and train their trainer. Like all those kind of things are, are harder to do. Now, sometimes you can do them and you can make it work and you should try to do them if people are asking you up to a certain point. But I think just like penciling it in is like, that's the solution. Cause yeah, we're going to have less customers, but 
they're all going to pay us more. I don't, I, don't know, I don't see that as like as automatic as it's come to be in the religion of the bootstrapper. So. so I think the part that's interesting to me is that like if you see like one person saying charge more and another person saying charge less, it's sort of easy to think right. that like they're trying to contradict each other or make like the opposite case. But I think right. in reality, it's not that. I think like someone like Patrick okay. is saying that thing that you want to charge $9 a month for because you have no sense of the value of what you built, you should probably charge $49 a month for. Right. And and you're not saying, no, don't charge $49 a month, charge $5 a month. You know, you're talking more about like when someone's saying you shouldn't have something that's $49 a month. If you're going to try and bootstrap a business, you know, your plans should be $499, $1999 and like $29.99. And I'm talking about like, there's no sense in those numbers. Like those are all dollar amounts, right? right? Right. But like you have an advantage as someone who has low costs and can move fast that you can charge under a hundred bucks a month or something versus what some of these people might be telling you to charge and use that as a way to attract customers even. Yeah, exactly. I think absolutely. Like, so Patrick's definitely coming at it very often from the like hey somebody comes up to him and says i'm gonna charge five bucks and when you do the math on five dollars you know an account like you need a lot of accounts to get to you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and it's not that's also completely unrealistic like you're not going to be able to do that so you absolutely have to charge enough to to be profitable and and do all things you need to do um and i think it is i think it's that's right like so that part where i think we're totally on the same page and then I think it's more when you get into like people sort of with dreams of selling to the enterprise and how that actually works and them not understanding the even like variations in that because most bootstrap software companies <clears throat> are never are never in a million years going to make a true enterprise sale. Like I've been selling help that software for 12 years. I've never had what I would consider an enterprise software sale because we never had a sale where like a huge Fortune 500 company comes to us and says, all of our 70,000 users are going to use your product. Like that's an enterprise sale. And that's where, yes, it's going to be a million dollars or $20 million. It's going to be much more likely to be a department in the enterprise company. And once you get into departments in enterprise companies, they're very much like small, medium-sized businesses in terms of they have a budget. They're not allowed to go over their budget. They need permission for things. Like it's not that enterprise sale that like, boy, I could just write any number I want on this and they're going to pay it because if I do the math, it's only five cents per user and that's what a great deal. No, it's a, the person who runs the department you're selling into has a software budget of $3,000 and is she going to sell it all, you know, give it all to you or not? And so then you get into like the realism of that and getting into those enterprises is great because I'm, I'm all for selling into the enterprise because you get in one department and you get another department and somebody else hears about your thing and then now you're in seven departments in the same company. And that's great. You don't have to do any marketing. You don't do anything. Like they just come to you and they buy more stuff from you. So that's awesome. That's even another reason why I feel like don't price yourself so far out there because you just want to get in there. Like just getting in to those bigger companies is like goal number one. And yeah, $5 is bad. They might think you're junky and all that stuff. But if you are charging a reasonable amount, $49, if you're in those ballpark nowadays like nobody's gonna think you're total crap you know i mean that's a reasonable price and you know and you're gonna be under somebody's budget and that's all good and you don't have to make that case for why they need to blow their budget out of the water because your thing's so much better and have those 30 meetings and talk to you know the committee that's deciding all that stuff that 
you would have to do if you're trying to get them to go beyond what they're budgeted to do versus them just being able to make a decision. Yeah, you know what? We're going with HubSpot totally. because we have $5,000 in our budget for this. It's less than that. We're doing it. And we like it. It's got the feet. You, know, you still have to have the product, right? You still have to have the features and has to do it well. It has to be quality, all that stuff. Um, but just on the pricing point of it, you know, I kind of view it like a check sheet. Like every sale is a check sheet. And, you know, you're just trying to check enough items. And the price is an advantage you have. And that's one win in your column. So, like, okay, HelpSpot won on pricing there. And, you know, Zendesk lost on pricing. Now, there might be other things, right? Like, we love that Zendesk will fly somebody out to us. That's a Zendesk win. Um, but we like HelpSpot's interface better. That's a HelpSpot win. So, you know, no solution is going to be perfect most of the time for the customer. It's like, can you get enough checks on your side to be the one they go with? And that's where I think people give away that pricing yeah. one too easy when you could just be a little bit lower than the competitors even. Um, and you're going to, why yeah. not win that column? Like, I don't know. That's an easy win for me. And still probably have a higher margin over your competitors too, even with less price. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, margin in software is so huge. I mean, you're just paying for yourself. Uh, even when you get a little bigger, I mean, it's mostly people selling the software costs you nothing. So yeah, I don't know. it's a big advantage we still have as bootstrappers that we don't have a sales team and this and that and overhead of physical office building and all that stuff. We don't have shareholders who are like down our neck and blah, blah, blah. So I think we could, you know, I think we just shouldn't lose sight of taking advantage of the <laughs> few advantages we have at this point over, uh, you know, c- competitors. For sure. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy and we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer so the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important if we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. So I was talking to David this morning briefly about uh, some pricing stuff he's trying to make some decisions on for his invoicing yeah. app, and I've been thinking a lot about mm. kind of pricing angles and what to attach pricing to in general with kite tail. Right. So maybe we could chat a little bit about those products and get your input as yeah. someone with some real experience in the business world and to uh, some pricing <laughs> ideas here. So maybe I'll let David go yeah. first. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, what you're telling me this morning about um, what you're trying to figure out with sort of the, uh, the pricing model for your invoicing app these days. Okay. So with push silver, currently the plan that is in place is just like 15 bucks a month and you get 
unlimited invoices. Other than that, there's a free tier where you get three invoices free a month or every 30 days right. or some, some, something like that. It's not been a great model. Not a lot of people seem to need three invoices a month or I've done terrible marketing, so I haven't gotten in front of enough eyeballs. Um, mm. So some of the p- pricing plans that we're kind of like brainstorming was adding a kind of a convenience fee or something on top of it on the free tier so that people don't have to have a plan or anything, but they can just, uh, they could charge, we could charge like a, a percentage of the transaction. And the kicker would be that you could charge that to the client. Sort of like when you, if you get a tow truck and mm. you pay with your credit card, they always charge you like $5 extra just to run the card. Right. Sort of that idea, right? which, you know, that could work. But then there's, I've kind of talked with some of the, the customers that I have and they don't seem to like that idea very much. They want to pay the plan amount and not have to charge extra fees. So there's kind of sort of pushback. Um, right. You could argue that those people that are wanting to pay for the plan aren't maybe the customer that I ideally want later because the plan is really cheap, you know, and the goal would be to make more right. money and charge more people. <laughs> right. So there's right. kind of a a dilemma there. Well, I mean, I I, I always worry about the percentage of things because it does get like expensive. Um, so in that case, I could see being a consultant. My concern would be I'm I'm billing somebody ten thousand dollars. If your fee is five percent, that's yeah. five hundred dollars. So that's like I have to now explain to them why they're getting a five hundred dollar bill to use this invoicing software, and they're going to say, uh, you know, invoicing <laughs> software is twenty nine bucks a month. Why are you charging me five hundred dollars? Uh, send me a paper invoice or whatever. You know what I mean? So like that it gets tricky. I mean, you could have a, a limit, a cap of some type, I guess, or whatever, right? Yeah, that was the idea. The cap would be like fifty bucks total if you're doing a ridiculous sized invoice, and that the convenience of being able to get paid online through Stripe would be worth worth that. Be that, yeah. Well, I guess my other thing would be then. So, does this fall into that the trap though? Because like, what are the other invoicing apps charging? Like, I don't know a lot about that space, but like, this fifty dollars puts you at well above them, and yeah. does that work? Do you know what I mean? Fifty dollars per per invoice, I assume, right? Yeah, a lot of competitors are seem to be really low, but they are, they're also venture funded, and so it, something's mm. not making since they must right. be doing it on volume and they have more features which is another thing that's always kind of plagued the back of my mind um as like a personal right. philosophy i d- don't want to add time tracking because there's a lot of for a lot of the stuff i want is right yeah they all is, add, they know, all have time, time tracking, tracking is a lot of waste of time in a lot of contexts and the ones i want right. to serve but you know it is another yep. feature that you can tick off oh yeah we can have time tracking and you could prove the time sheets and turn those into invoices and bill those out to clients but if I'm like philosophically opposed to them, uh, does that mean I have to charge less than right. them when they're already charging really less? Uh, they're charging probably like zero. There's a free tier. Then there's, I think the first one's like one person can have it for 10 bucks a month. And then 20 bucks a month is the most you can pay. Right. I think. Right. So there's the market's really low. <laughs> yeah. That's tricky. So <laughs> That's going to be tricky. I mean, I think that's going to be hard to, to command a percentage of the bill. Don't you, you know what I mean? Because maybe I do it once, but then I'm like, well, why am I paying 40, 50 bucks for the, each invoice when I could just go to these other solutions that do it? I mean, the time tracking thing, people have kind of worked backwards from that. Into, I feel like like Harvest, 
Like they were time trackers first, yeah. and then they add invoicing, or you know, it's kind of worked in that way. And you don't want to become a time <laughs> tracker, which I don't blame you. So, like, I I don't know. Like, maybe you see like for people who what are the people who only need invoicing but not time tracking, right? Like, that's an interesting idea because there are definitely people in that niche. And what do those people need that the time tracker crowd doesn't need? You know, like part of it's just positioning. Like, how do you position it differently? And then one definite problem with the pricing and where, where I do agree with charge more and doing that the right way to charge more is to not box yourself in uh, for bigger customers. Like when it's 15 bucks unlimited, you like now somebody can use a lot of invoices and they're not paying you anymore. When you should, there should be tiers there so that, yeah, like the person who sends 20 invoices a month, they pay 15 bucks or whatever. But if you're sending 50, if you're sending 200, right? Like, what, I don't know what the right prices will be, but maybe they're paying you yeah. $1.99 a month or whatever because they're sending 200 invoices a month. They're going through Stripe. They're getting paid online. Well, their invoices are like ridiculously large. And I'm, right. <laughs> you're bringing a lot of value to them, right? You like you can show the value you're bringing to them even more easily than the smaller customer because you're like, hey, you're you're sending half a million dollars in invoices through us every every month and you're paying us $3.99 to do that or whatever. And that all kind of makes sense. Do you absorb the Stripe fee? It's their Stripe account, right? It's their Stripe account, so yeah. they absorb all the fees. We did have a feature yeah. on there uh, that I kind of had to grandfather out, or not grandfather out, but uh, I, I removed it because when we added more currencies, the calculated the Stripe fee to put on the invoicing mm-hmm. itself was kind of difficult because of all the different stripes and different, you know, the countries, regions, yeah, yeah, and so. We still have to support those old invoices that had the Stripe uh, fee right. calculated in it for U.S. And so that's been kind of one of those legacy things. Right, right. <laughs> kind of. So that's a little tricky, yeah. So, I mean, the other thing that pops in my head is could you do like um, sort of, well, I mean, even like what's, what I'm kind of trying with Thermostat is like it doesn't cost a lot to run this, I'm assuming, because you're mm-hmm. not absorbing those Stripe fees and, for the, and you know, it's like whatever. It's a web server. And, yeah few bucks whatever your time is the main thing so you know it's like how people treat ebooks right they're like you should write an ebook first to build your audience and then you do the next thing like maybe this is your ebook like maybe it's free or mm-hmm. it's like super cheap and it's if, if you had two thousand companies all using your invoice software for free that is extremely valuable now whether or not you maybe you have a a tier, some kind of pricing thing that you charge, you'll get 5% of them to buy. Um, but then just having access to those 2000 companies, like, you know, I know you're already working on another app, right? So if you have something else you can sell into them, like that could be valuable too. You've already built this. It's there. It works. If you're not getting a lot of money out of it, there might be something else you can get out of it. Uh, that's valuable. So, and like building an audience per not in the ebook sense exactly, but in this customer base, which is even kind of better because they're using your product every day and have that relationship with you. And that's something that like Harvest won't be able to do and mm. FreshBooks won't be able to do and kind people of like that. It. Almost like what you're doing with Thermostat, you're adding the bottom on the bottom of the emails a little. Right. Like at some point you could have, yeah, well, that's the other thing. I totally think you should have like powered by- Push Silver. Um, yeah, push seller. So you know, powered by push seller, yeah, that should be plastered everywhere, right? Like, mm-hmm. get get them coming in, and then yeah, I mean, if you have people, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are annoyed they pay Harvest 
20 bucks a month to send an invoice or whatever, right? Like there's that whole constituency. Um, and especially the people, even more so the people who don't use the time tracking because they're like, I'm paying Harvest and I don't even use the stupid feature that mm-hmm. it's its main feature, right? I'm just, I'm just using the invoicing. So, you know, I don't know enough about the space to know if there's already like 30 people doing this thing or whatever. But, uh, but I think between either that as one idea and also the idea of just like digging down into those people who don't need time tracking, like what do they do? Like do they want maybe like you send a printed invoice like could you send printed invoices and other people don't like i share an office with my brother's company and their consultancy and they send all of their invoices printed because they've actually get better they try to do the online and they have better results if they send it printed and they put a paid stamped envelope in the thing and they just send it to the accounts payable department and they don't have to even find the envelope like they just put the check yeah. back in and send it back so I don't know, like, I'm sure there's some service, right? That's like a print uh, API, whatever, whatever. Lob, yeah, lob.com. I've actually considered that. I thought that'd be a pretty interesting thing to add professional, a professional touch to like a contractor. Yeah, or even, I mean, I even think just for the invoices, right? Cause it's like, you could totally see, hey, we have a $15 tier, that's Stripe payments, whatever. Maybe it should be a little more than 15, but whatever, right? 20 bucks. And then we have the like printed, invoice service that's $99 a month and or whatever the right price is and you know that's up to 50 invoices a month we'll print them we'll whatever might have to be more than that since you're printing and mailing and stuff but whatever it is or however many the limits are but uh like maybe that's something that you can do that they aren't doing and that certain specific kinds of businesses would find interesting and valuable over uh over that and you're saving them money too because it's always great to tie saving them money like right now you have bob at the you know reception desk who stuffs all these envelopes for you and you know he's using up fifty dollars a week of his time you know printing and stuffing envelopes for all your invoices like so you're saving bob's fifty dollars a week and you know you're gonna get better uh results because we're gonna do it all beautiful for you and it gets there every time and whatever it doesn't you know all, whatever the case you can make there but i don't know it seems like a good idea. I don't it's know if it's been is a good on the idea. backlog <laughs> to consider. The printing part is always kind of something that yeah. makes somebody that grew up in like the digital age kind of like, oh, like, but it does seem to have like, right. you know, real business value. And I can see that people like me that was were doing consulting work, you know, want to always have that edge on professionalism. And so to be able to just send out really easy invoices per month, like a recurring invoice that all that automatically gets printed and sent out. Mm. That could be pretty yeah. uh, lucrative. <laughs> and and yeah. even printed receipts, right? Like even if they pay with Stripe, maybe you want to... Thank you emails or thank you letters, you know. Get, thank, you could do that kind of thing too. And and even just printed receipts. Like, hey, you're going to get, you're going to pay online and then we're going to mail you a printed receipt. You know, I don't know. Is there people who find that valuable? I mean, I know companies who do everything printed, whether or not you can reach them and all those aspects to it, right? Like that's always... That's yeah. always the, the harder part. At that point, um, would they trust a single but, man shop running pushsilver.com or would they want to, to pay somebody that looks like, you know, they're a, a team of 10 that, are, that only do this for their full-time job? Yeah, I, I don't usually think that's too big a factor because I think if you just work on the website, you can make it feel like that's not an issue. And, uh, you know, you're not, they're not really committing that. Ultimately, like they were doing it before without you and they could go back to doing it without you, which is, which is the downside for this kind of business too, is they could do it without you, which is always a little bit of a tenuous spot for an app because 
if I can kind of easily replace you, that's that's not ideal. But um, then they have to hire but, Bob. Right. Then they have to hire Bob at least again or put Bob <laughs> back on it or whatever. Uh, and that's where also reaching them, like maybe if it's, you do fully digital, it's free and you want it printed, that's paid. And so you reach, that's how you reach or whatever. Um, it kind of trickles down because people who send invoices, people who receive invoices are often, though not always, the kind of people who also send invoices. Um, so I think I could see that working. But but yeah, I think there's some, there's definitely some stuff there that, is absolutely wrong, right? So flat $15 is definitely not the right, because it's not strategic, right? That's the other thing with the pricing. It's like free. It was $10 and and everyone was like, raise your price. I was like, all right, 15 is good enough. But then I was kind of like centering it around other people's apps that I get like huge amounts of value and they're way undervalued. Like Forge was, you know, my, my example. Right. Ridiculously well, yeah, low. Like, I right? more than Forge. It's so much more valuable to me than like my own right. software product to me <laughs> at points, you know. <laughs> right. Well, you have to be careful with that too, because that's not that's not always that's not really a good way to think about it. Which we do think about it that. Like, it's hard not to think about it that way, but yeah, you can't really think about it. Because well, like, let's just even take Forge apart for a second. Like Taylor has a gigantic audience, so he only needs a very small number of people to make that a viable business. And by making it cheap, he increases the number of people that are going to take him up on that, right? So for him at scale, it's a very different pricing question than if he was Taylor Otwell, guy who just built Forge and nobody knew who Taylor Otwell was, right? Because then $10, how many $10 a month accounts does he need to make that work? Like a lot, at which he would never be able to get. But he has a huge audience, so it's totally different because whatever, if he gets... 10,000 people all using paying him $10 a month. Well, then that's, that's all right, but you're never going to get 10,000 people, uh, you right. know, just like launching a $10 product because it's just not going to happen. So yeah. So you can't get too worried about that. Like it's just like getting, you know, there's always going to be free, like I mean with HelpSpot and the whole slot and like there's tons and tons of free software. There's tons of cheap help desk solutions that are way cheaper than HelpSpot. So you kind of have to balance it for like the market you're reaching and find a way to reach a market at all is kind of like usually the first step in that. Like what market can I reach? So for you, it's probably more on the like internet geek end. I don't know too much about your other endeavors, but which is a fickle, fickle crowd, right? Like the internet geek is, they have their upsides and downsides as a, as a customer base. But yeah, you do have to kind of tailor it around that, but definitely 10 is just not really viable. And, and even, I mean, I think that, it can be viable even if it's just the base of you have these cheap accounts to foster the relationships with bigger accounts like that works, but it can't just be $10 for everybody. Cause that doesn't work. So you have to have that progression where even if you're like, it helps spot like our cheap accounts, like we do have a free option now, which is kind of secondary thing. Um, but the base paid account is like 600 bucks a year. And that's fine. You know, I mean, it's still 600 bucks a year, so that's not too bad, right? It's like whatever, 50 bucks a month. But that's kind of just the baseline. Like if we just had to survive on that, like we wouldn't be able to survive on that. So, you know, those are, we have those customers and those are good customers, but they're kind of more the base for the bigger customers um, who come in. And, you know, the little customers are great though. The, the, the other thing about the $10 a month type account is what's good about it is that it will be the internet geek person a lot. And the internet geek has a Twitter account and Facebook account and a blog and they have a podcast and right, they're out there talking. 
middle manager in company X in big consultancy X that uses push silver has none of those things will never, ever talk about you once ever, ever, ever under any circumstances. So there is like that balance too of the upside of reaching multiple audiences when you don't have money to market is that some of those people can help you spread the word, um, even though they're not paying you a lot of money. Uh, whereas the bigger accounts, you very rarely will directly help you in that way. Like they're not going to talk about you at all. So, cause they don't care. Like you're just a software tool to them, right? They're not invested in you personally or anything. So I was trying to think like with pushover, I use it for all my invoicing stuff, but mm -hmm. I don't do a lot of invoicing, right? Which is, it's kind of why it appeals to me because I really just need something to just let me quickly send an invoice and get paid in the odd situations that occur where I need to invoice someone. Like maybe I send an invoice right. to one of the sponsors for the podcast, like three or four times a year or invoice someone right. for a uh, reimbursing me for travel for a conference or something like I maybe send 10 invoices a year. So right. using like something that markets itself as like cloud accounting software to do it just feels like right. so overkill. You know what I mean? Which is why right. push over is yeah. like perfect for me. But I, I've been trying to think about like, how could you get me to pay for it? Because like, I only, right. I only need <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. You're, you're not well, going to pay I, for I that. I would right? pay for it if like there was a way to, I don't know. Like I was just thinking like maybe if it's $99 a year, but I have to pay per year and I pay at the beginning of the year. And now I know I have something that I can use yeah. to send my invoices when I need to. And it's just kind of like that yeah. insurance to, to have a I tool do like to yearly do that. pricing because the monthly yeah. pricing is hard for someone like me. Cause there's some months where I don't send an invoice at all. And it's like, Ugh, you know what I mean? You hate yeah, that. Right, right. But if it's a yearly, that doesn't bother me at all. But maybe, maybe the whole thing is a cash 22 anyways. Cause maybe like building the invoicing tool for people who don't want to send invoices is not like <laughs> great. Maybe it doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, that's the first problem. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not trying to figure out how to get somebody who uses it like four times a year to pay for it. That's a problem. Like that's not your prime audience. Right. Because that is not, that's not going to work. Um, like it's okay to have those people around on some free plan or whatever, because they're out there kind of letting people like we're talking about on this podcast. And so people are hearing about it. So that's valuable. But you're not gonna be able to make the whole business off that. But um, but I like the idea of yearly or even since this is such a low cost thing to run, like you could even do lifetime, like 199 lifetime. We don't care how many invoices you ever, ever, ever send the rest of your life, 199 lifetime. And I like the lifetime too, because that's that's as, as much as you somebody would turn out. You know, on a paid plan, it seems like, you know, their lifetime value might be 150 bucks. That, right. What's their lifetime value? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and it is a much different psychological transaction to pay for something once and know you have it forever um, versus, yeah, that weight of the every month is, I mean, with HelpSpot, we charge yearly and for that same basic reason. And it's also the kind of product that people commit to long term. So it's not, we don't really get any pushback on it. But I think invoicing is kind of similar. Like this is going to be an invoicing solution forever. It's one ninety nine. We're gonna be here. Don't worry about a thing. And even if we're even if we go out of business tomorrow, it's still only one ninety nine. So it's not like you didn't invest twenty thousand dollars in this, right? Like so, it's not too much risk on the Hayes one man show. What if he goes out of business? Because whatever, it's not not tons of money, and it's unique, which I like. I could say I promise to give it away, like the the code away if I go away. Right? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. Like I've I've had like two conversations like that ever in 12 years where a client was like what happens if like you go away or whatever that doesn't even matter i would definitely not put anything on the website about that like don't even yeah. address it but <laughs> uh, yeah but uh 
But yeah, I like the year. I don't. I think the yearly would be something to experiment with because that's that's an interesting interesting angle on it. I like the yearly or lifetime. Either one is. Or, or I mean, I meant lifetime. Yeah, I meant lifetime. Yeah, the lifetime is is really interesting. That's like everyone will tell you that's a bad idea that really wants to maximize the <laughs> the profit. But maybe maybe that is how you maximize the profit when it's people right. who don't want to send them, don't yeah. need it very often or whatever. I don't know. I would. Right. You're serving a market that is not served by people charging twenty, thirty dollars a month. Like they are not mm. trying to service this market. And so, like, what can you do? Like, would Adam pay you ninety nine bucks to have access for life? I think yeah. he probably would, right? And you could have even you could still even have tiers, right? So ninety nine bucks is up to a hundred invoices a year, and one ninety nine is three hundred or whatever. You know, you gotta figure it out. But you could have tiers. And so, hey, every once in a while, you're gonna get a thousand dollar sale because somebody wants the 2000 invoices a year plan or whatever it is right and great because they're the kind of company that's like you know what we have extra budget this year we're gonna buy this once i'm never gonna have to pay for it again and my invoicing thing is done and i don't have to justify it to anybody every year at some budget cycle or whatever so you can still have enterprisey plans i mean basically this is how HelpSpot works i mean up until a year and a half ago and this is how all software works. Like that's the big fallacy. Is like people are like, "Oh, SaaS is like the only way to sell software." Like nobody sold fucking SaaS until yeah. like a five years ago. Like, and before that, everybody sold their software one time. Like you paid for it once and you owned it forever. And maybe you know the company would come up with a way for you to pay them again because hey, now there's version three and you got to pay us more if you want version three. Fine, but there's also a lot more cost back then with that kind of stuff. So for you to offer it lifetime. You know, that's, it's kind of the same thing. You're, you're getting all that money up front and people still like that. They, they hate commitment, right? Who doesn't hate commitment? Yeah. Um, so I love yeah. it. I love it. I think that's interesting. Yeah. The nice thing about lifetime too, is you can do sales and like, yes, sales are huge. Yeah. Like you could have a black do Friday sale, but... 50% off. Yeah. You see Jeffrey do that. Jeffrey does that all the time. I was listening to a podcast the other day with, what was it? It was someone talking to the guy who runs uh, YNAB, uh, the You Need a Budget app. YNAB? Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You Need a and, Budget uh, app. And they had their app for sale in the Steam store, and the Steam dudes, <laughs> and they were like, it was like the weirdest thing. Like, they opened it up to allow non-games in there, and, um, you know, the dude was like, one of the guys who worked there was like, if I just, like do the amount of work to make it necessary to put it on here. Just me. Like, you don't have to worry about it. Why don't we try it? And they're like, okay. So, you know, basically no one buys it on the steam store, but then the steam dudes tell them like, Hey, we think you should do this sale where you take this app. It's normally 49 bucks and you sell for 15 bucks. And he was saying that the number of sales that they got when they did that made like an insane difference in their bottom line. Like it funded development of their SaaS app for the next year for like this one sale that they did from all these people making this aspirational purchase to buy this thing for $15. And they were worried they were going to get swamped with support, zero support. No one ever asked (laughs) them about it at all because no one ever used it. (laughs) So I don't know. It's interesting. That's crazy. Yeah, it makes sales much easier, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could totally see invoicing sale. I mean, you could do sales around that different times of year where it would make sense to, to push it out there. and Or when you see people do those bundles yeah. of stuff, like whatever, like get in on some of those things. I kind of like that. Yeah, I'm really liking that. <laughs> we saw something, maybe, or it might be a disaster. But It doesn't matter. It's it's making so little money now that it, it, <laughs> there's a slight uptick. It's better. Right, you have nothing to lose. 
Yeah. No, I like it. If you make that plan, I'll buy a lifetime license today if you can get that deployed. There you today. go. You got your first customer on the <laughs> lifetime license. I mean, yeah. I mean, who hasn't bought it? It then brings it down to like the like you know the pile of ebooks you have and like all the other stuff that you've bought and never fully consumed because you bought it because it's like eh, it's not that risky. You know your entire risk right there. It's just the cost. It's not like I forgot to cancel it and all that crap. And um, yeah, so it just makes it makes it much simpler. And especially since you're really like the real thing why this all sounds good to us is because this is really like a it's almost like a B two C app. Yeah. You know what I mean, like it's right there on the edge. It's not entirely B2B because you're dealing with a lot of Adam Wathins. Yeah, it's a lot of individual people who make their own money that are still, they're a little more in that business mindset and a little more willing to spend money, but it's it's still not like you're spending someone else's money. Right. It's not just straight, we budgeted 5,000 a year for this. Like, what are we going to spend it on? Yeah. No, it's my money. And, you know, and I already have three other apps that do invoicing and, you know, whatever I could go on the higher plan and harvest and get my invoicing or whatever, stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And, and don't forget to have those big tiers though. Cause I think, man, it's nice when somebody comes along and drops a thousand bucks on you or 5,000 bucks or I don't know what the top tier could be, but you'll have, and or just even don't publish it, but just don't put a top, you know what I mean? Like don't have an unlimited, just have a top tier. And if somebody says, "Oh, I want like ten thousand a year," what do you think about that? You can come up with a price for them, and you know, <laughs> sure. everything's negotiable. I can charge you enough to make that possible. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, we we could do that. So you can even have API. I don't know if you have an API now, but you could see like an API to make it easier for certain types of people and things like that to automate mm-hmm. if they want to automate some sending and things like that. Um, interesting. That's real interesting. All right, I like this. I like this. We're making progress here. Sit down on my couch. <laughs> Landsmanspricingcouch.com. There you go. Point. He's he's off to hover as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Add another I one. I get like a video the... set up and a, 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 a get an actual couch and people come and lay down on here and like discuss their pricing woes. Give me like comedians in cars getting coffee. It's like bootstrappers on couches talking pricing. <laughs> yes. That would probably actually be really fun. But. So did you have thermostat.io already? Was it in your treasure trove of domains you have? <sighs> oh, well, of course not. I had to buy it. I had to buy it from a squatter, but well, it's funny because my it was originally called. Oh, I have my my golden domain, my favorite domain oh, is man. wow.io. Nice three letter domain, it's a good domain. So I was gonna call it wow, but I was like, wow, well, it doesn't really work with wow. Then I'm just calling it wow because like I have this good domain. So I'm like, yeah, oh, you know what? I'm just I kind of like the idea of thermostat because it's like kind of measures and acts and all this stuff. So yeah, it was only I think it was like. 300 bucks so it wasn't oh, too bad, bad yeah. but yeah i had to, had to buy it but as a like, dictionary word on io for 300 bucks that's that's pretty reasonable that's not too bad yeah 300 is okay anything less that's than 500 anyway. doesn't feel like too bad above that it's yeah. like uh, i can probably find something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right i just met a guy today i didn't meet him but i i heard of a guy today who i know indirectly who owns a uh dictionary word four letter dot com domain i'm like man and he just has like a web consulting company on it i'm like dude you gotta rename that thing and sell that domain that domain's probably worth four or five million dollars or something love it man yeah 
Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. As sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application, and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. So I got one more pricing question if we have time because we've been going for pretty long yeah, here, but it. it's kind of a quick one. So I was thinking about trying to come up with pricing for Kite Tail and the models that I kind of came up with. So, you know, the main benefit of the app is letting you sell things, and collect money, right? So the obvious approach is some percentage because you want to try and tie what someone's paying to the value that they're getting from it. And if the app is letting them make money and you know the amount of money, well, that's an easy correlation to make, right? But there's right. something about like percentage that doesn't feel good. People hate they hate, they hate it more it. than monthly. They like, hate it a like, lot more. So like, yeah. if Stripe is taking two point nine and I say it's three point five total, including like your your Stripe right. fee or whatever, mm. that's still like uh, I could just figure out I could hack something way worse together myself right. and save that point six percent. So I was trying to figure right. out. A bunch of different ideas like one was okay well maybe it's just a monthly price based you know, that's feature kind of tiered right mm-hmm. but then i started thinking well what if i tried to do like a fee that was a, tied to the amount of money that you made that month so it's still basically a percentage but it's not a percentage right so yeah. like mm-hmm. i had this idea of these three plans but maybe there'd be more but basically the idea was like a side hustle plan where you're allowed to where you can make up to 2500 bucks a month and it costs you 29 mm-hmm. bucks a month or something and right. like a, mm-hmm. an indie plan where you can make like 7,500 bucks a month, which is like enough that you're like a bachelor having like a pretty cool life. You know what I mean? Right. And that's like 99 <laughs> bucks a month or something. And then like a pro plan where you can make up to $25,000 a month for like $99 a month or $149 a month or whatever. Right. Something like that. So yeah. this is what I was kind of thinking. And I'm curious on your guys opinions on that like does that strike you the same way it strikes me where even though that is actually probably more money than they would pay as a percentage 
it somehow feels like there's less be- obstacles to paying it? I definitely think so. Uh, because, you know, again, they know the risk, right? The risk is at most I'm paying Adam 79 bucks yeah. a month. And it's not the like, it's a percentage. What if I have a gigantic month? You know, this never actually happens, right? But what if I have a gigantic month and now I got to pay you 300 bucks? Like, and that's going to piss me off. And I didn't know I was yeah. going to spend that money in ball. You know, so I do think you're just de-risking it. So it makes it a cleaner decision for them that like, do I want to spend $79 on this or not? Like, is it saving me that much time or not? Like all those kind yeah. of things. Um, it's nice. Yeah. Cause you're thinking about it as like, is this worth $79 to me? Not, is it worth 0.6%, right. which I'm not going to do the mental math to figure out how right. much a month that would actually be. Even if it ends up working out to less, it's like, Oh, every time I make money, right. you get money. Like, and that's the exact thing. They're not going to do the math either. So they're automatically going to go to the worst case scenario, yeah. right? Which is, it's probably going to be a lot of money because who the hell knows what 0.6 is on what <laughs> my monthly sales are, but whatever it is, it's got to be a lot of money and because they wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't some like extra large amount of money they were taking off me. So it just makes it a hard decision. Whenever you don't have pricing that's clear, I feel like you have to really be, you have to have a very strong proposition, whether like a strong brand or something extremely unique. Like if you're AWS, you could say we're charging you by resources and you're just going to have to suck it up. Because yeah, all those pricing crazy thing suck. happen. Like, you know, but like there's a lot of variability, but everybody in that industry prices that way. And so, okay, we can't deal with it. But for these other things, it's trickier. And Stripe could do it because you have no, tr- like, you got to go through Stripe. Everybody charges a percentage in credit cards. So, again, they, they're just doing what everybody Stripe else does. Stripe magically feels free too because you never get a right, bill. It does, right. Well, because you know you're, and you know you're going to pay it. When, you can't take a credit card without paying that yeah. fee. Whether you pay Stripe or whether you pay somebody else, you're going to pay that fee no matter what. So, and you're saving money with Stripe because the other people's fees, at least, you know, previously Stripe was cheaper. I think now it's probably a little bit closer, but. So, you know, you're just stuck. Do you want to take credit cards online? Yes or no? Like, if you answer no, okay, well, I don't know, you know, that's a whole different world. And if you answer yes, well, then you have to use one of these tools. They all charge for a percentage and that's it. Like, there's nothing else. But anything else that charges a percentage, like, you really got to justify that above and beyond um, some kind of flat price. Plus, I'd also worry about, like, churn. Like, I don't know, people seeing that number and it's variable and it's like, maybe we're just going to put a dev on this for a couple of days and get rid of this. Yeah. Tail thing like there's something about it where yeah there's something about it where it feels like okay we can try and save that cost that we're paying per sale by trying to do this ourselves whereas when yeah. you're paying like at least this is my hope and this is my my feeling personally is if i'm paying 79 dollars a month for something I, I don't look at it at all related to my sales i look at like the app that i am in with my account right. and i'm looking at it thinking like is this worth 79 dollars to me like to be able to go in here and generate right. coupons for people or to be able to print out these reports it just like yeah it's crazy to me because it's still tying the price of the product to how much you make in the exact same way that a right, percentage would be, but right. it like decouples it completely and makes you think about the value of the product and is it worth what you're paying versus yeah. is it worth paying some percentage of what I make? Even though you're probably paying more because now you're paying basically the maximum every time because it's stair-stepped instead of like volume, right. like quantity-based, you know what I mean? Yeah. But somehow it makes it more interesting. Well, I was just going to say, you'll have to see what, like, you might need a lot more stair steps or it'll yeah. be interesting to see where, because I could see resistance, like when I, when I sell just over into that next stair and, you know, it's not, I didn't choose to go into that, right? Like I just happened to go into it and now I'm paying more, like now I'm paying double or whatever, yeah. you know, like it's not going to be too much of a jump. 
Like you might need more. And it would pro it, and it's not like you would pay that every month. Like I think I the way I was thinking it, it would it would basically be based on the volume that you did that month. You know what I mean? Um so like right. if you have a big launch month and that puts you into one bucket, you pay that for that month. But then like if your consistent right. sales it's, are lower after that and it goes back down. But I was also trying to yeah. think how to work in annual pricing. Um be- because of that that fluctuating makes it kind of harder to like get someone to pay for the annual version of the high value one. Right. But the thing that I was thinking is like normally you give like an annual discount, right? Like two months free or something like that. Right. I think it's actually interesting in this case because I can do like two months free, but I can also say like now you're not limited by like how much you're supposed to make in a certain month. This is like, what do you want to make in revenue for the year? And it's split up across the whole year. You know what I mean? So mm. like on the indie plan, I have like a spreadsheet here where if that was 7,500 a month, then you're allowed to make 90 grand a year on that. Right. You could pay mm. for that annually, get two months free, but we'll also just bump that whole cap to be a hundred grand for the whole year spread however you want. So you might have a big launch right. one month where you do 40 grand and then the rest of the months are all way lower. You don't even have to think about it. There's no variability. It's just like you paid to be able to earn a hundred grand this year. Um, which is more right. than you would have been able to make if you paid for the same plan monthly and you got a discount. You know right. what I mean? So it kind of incentivizes okay. it a little bit, but it does feel, it still feels like complicated to me a little bit. Like you're having, you're really explaining it. And I worry about like when somebody's looking at the pricing page, like the ex- explanation factor being significant. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's just one thing I think just to keep in mind. And the other thing would be, I guess it'll depend on who the market is for this. Like if it ends up being a market that's a lot of like ebook content product, which is kind of where this is coming out yeah. of, right? Like all right, so they know they have like a launch, and that's the big one, and then it kind of goes down to like the steady stream over the lifetime of the thing or whatever. Like from the business perspective, I wonder how that Yeah. I don't know. I just wonder how that'll all work. Like if you're gonna have a lot of people churn out after three months because like now they're not making that much each month on it and paying you even that 30 bucks. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you're already set up, which you would think would be good. Cause like moving, if they're down to making 500 bucks a month on some ebook, the taking the time to unhook used also yeah. probably burdensome. Um, so I don't know, but there's something, maybe something there. I think that you just want to keep an yeah. eye on is to have a lot of people who do bail after like a launch period or it's, it's hard like because that, like, but. Gumroad is very sticky in that way because for people to mm. go back and download the thing that they bought, they have to go to the email they got from Gumroad and click the link that goes to Gumroad to right. get access to the thing. You know what I mean? Right. So it's a big move, right? If you try to get rid of it. I don't know what they do if you like cancel your account or whatever, if they keep those links working for the people who paid. I would hope that they do. Mm. But yeah, there's just something about yeah, it that feels like, see that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. How does Gumroad price? Are they do a percent? They do a percentage plus a monthly fee. So if you don't do, mm. say, so a free plan, free, which I think is like 8.5% of each sale, okay, right. they absorb the mm-hmm. processor fees, though. And then right. they have like a monthly plan where it's 3.5% per sale still. So you're just down in a way lower mm. rake there. Uh, but you pay based on the number of customers you have, which is one of those things that stresses me out as a customer for them. Because if I sold a product last year and I had, I got 2000 customers, but I haven't earned a single customer ever since. Cause I haven't released anything new every month. I'm still paying in that bucket. Cause I have 2000 customers sitting right. in that Gumroad account, yeah. keeping that mm. number up. Right. Um, right. so I've never seen any of these like tools do a good job at tying it in a way that doesn't like feel 
like like you were talking about with like AWS and all that stuff. It's like these things that I can't control right. that are just like I don't know. It's like Twilio there. or something. How many text messages did you send this month? It's like uh, I, I hope someone doesn't find a way to send all these text messages to my system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. where, <laughs> Twilio is always very stressful. Yes, <laughs> like uh, some bug in the code just sent three million <laughs> exactly. text messages. Like, yeah. Yeah, I would. You know, if you view the Gumroad as the main competitor and people moving off of Gumroad, like I guess I mean, do you do you feel like you're positioning it as Gumroad sucks? You got to use Kite Tail because like you're getting rid of all this crap with Gumroad, and this is this is really what you want. Like, are you really like? Is that really the main thing? Like Gumroad so, specifically? Gumroad is like the main one. The 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 thing I have like in my head as trying to position it is I want Kite Tail to be like what ConvertKit is to Mailchimp to Gumroad. So like MailChimp right. makes it easy to send emails and collect emails and put them in a list and stuff like that. But that's like it. Mm-hmm. ConvertKit and Drip and these other email marketing automation tools, they try to like bake in these sort of like best practices to make you succeed with the product. Like ConvertKit has all this right. stuff in it about like creating email sequences or being able to resend a broadcast email to people who didn't open it, but changing the subject so that they think it's a different email and maybe they'll open it this time or just all these things right. that are more like focused on like the job to be done a little bit more. Gumroad is similar. Mm-hmm. It's like, give us a file. We can let you sell it. They don't care right. about like helping you launch it successfully or anything like that. Whereas I want mm-hmm. Kitel to make it easier for people to do the right things that are going to help them you know, make the most money from the products that they're selling, like have pricing tiers and make it easy for people who bought the cheap tier to upgrade to the middle tier. So if someone just buys my book and then wants to add the screencasts, mm-hmm. they can do that. Like that's impossible with Gumroad. Someone has to email me. Right. I have to go to Gumroad. I have to like figure out, oh, what did they pay? <laughs> uh, what would they have paid for this tier based on the coupon that they used? Make a new coupon right. for the middle tier that includes whatever price they would have paid and gets it down to the price that it should be and send them that. Right. And then they basically buy it twice. It's not like they have one version of the product that got upgraded it's like they have two different links to the two versions now it just you know it's Hmm. it doesn't have those sorts of like best practices built in so then i wonder so you are going to have like customer record like you're going to know who the customers were and what they bought and so you can upgrade them and do different have reports around them and stuff like that i don't know i mean i mean in a sense like uh you know it's probably like i do agree like the percentage is is just a harder sell. But I wonder if you could take more from the convert kit style of like, there's a lot of tiers, right? Like convert kits, like a million tiers. Yeah. Cause every time you go up like a thousand people, like you go up a tier. Yeah. I mean, I, it might be nice to go based on customers kind of like Gumroad and convert kit and not so much on the revenue side of it, even though it feels, I agree. Like I always hate when I'm in those things. So it's a, bit of a tough call but at the same time it is sort of like a standard like HubSpot works that way like a lot of things work that way where the number of like customer records you have is what you're paying to keep there and that makes it cleaner which I do like because it's going to be much more straightforward I feel like than how much revenue you had over a given period now you got some like rolling average you know whatever you're going to have to do to kind of make that make sense and and also for people to just even internally understand that versus just more straight up, like how many customers do you have? X? Like this is what that's yeah. going to cost you. And we're going to keep all those records. And we're not just duping you here because over the long term, like if that person comes back and wants to buy something, they're going to be able to do it. If they come back in your next product and buy a second thing, we're going to have this whole record for you 
like a mini CRMish kind of thing. What's everything David ever bought from me? Well, he bought my ebook and he bought the testing course and you know all that yeah. stuff. So I don't know. I think if you're really kind of going for Gumroad, we're gonna have more customer information, and it's not just about the like making that transaction really clean and awesome, but it's also about the businessy side of it. That then you're getting into a place where paying like that makes sense. So, All right, I'll keep it in mind. I don't know. I think you might want to keep that in mind. It's a cleaner story to tell. I feel like, and but it still gives you that variability. I just worry about the case where it's like. I I sold an ebook five years ago and now it doesn't make any money and I still have to pay for this damn you can thing. Archive it, right? And yeah. is that a real c- concern? Like even under in my pricing model that I'm talking about, like then they wouldn't be paying. In that other pricing model, then they would be. But is right. that enough to like scare them off in the beginning? I guess is the real fear. Um, right. And there's also the balance of you have to be able, especially with this market, if you don't do it based on somewhat of the value you're providing after the transaction. Then I do worry a little bit about like, how do you have a viable business? Like you're going to be so front loaded with people on their launches and then you can't charge those people anything kind of like, after that, it's going to be hard to charge. You know what I mean? They're all going to fall down to the $29 plan Yeah. after their launches. I mean, hopefully you get some bigger ones and that's not the case and they stay, but and it depends what kind of transactions people end up doing with it. But just in terms of the kind of content yeah. stuff, you're going to have the big push and then it's gonna it's gonna drop a lot just because that's what yeah what they do yeah it's hard because it's hard to know how many people are out there that like are making enough that they would pay a lot right like i, I try to think of other examples of people who i know that would be useful for is people like fideliper you know he has stuff that would be perfect to mm-hmm. sell through this or like west boss but west boss is like the king of the mountain when it comes to the the info product <laughs> stuff right right like he's got a massive following and like lots of products and sells sells yeah. tons of them so he would be stuck in the the top tier forever but i don't know it is interesting me to me in some ways because i like that i can say like the only way for me to be able to make more money from you as a customer is to help you make more money from your customers right. you know what i mean so it feels yeah. like the values yeah. are aligned in that right. way but yeah yeah, that's true. I don't know. I don't know if I know enough about that scene to really fully decide if I feel like that's like going to be too hard or not. I mean, the other thing is you can always change it. So like that's not really – I mean, it's a pain in the ass, but – You have to. That's what the, everyone will tell you. You're not allowed to only right. – you're not allowed to get the pricing right the first time. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But – and you'll get some feedback. I mean, even if you get get people out there using it for free and then just start to talk yeah. to them and not, I, I mean, ask them what they want to pay usually is not very good, but more like really understanding like what they need and how, what they're seeing and all that stuff. Having just the data, like, is there more interesting ways you can use this data to help them that has value over the long term that's worth them paying for or things like that? Um yeah, or maybe it's even two different fees. Like when you, if you're gonna like really be that tightly tied to this concept, right? Like you could have like at launch periods are X, and ba- there's like base data storage is like thirty bucks a month. Yeah, for whatever. But then there's it's almost like a retainer you, plus whatever. There's all sorts of ways to think about it. Yeah, some right. It's just to hold all this stuff and do useful things with it. But it all it does all still feel like even that can yeah. be kind of complicated. Right, you have two t- two different things. That it's like kinda, a Roku yeah, pricing all of a sudden or something. Right, right. Yeah, you got like seven sliders. <laughs> You're like, how do I how do I deal with this? 
So yeah, that, that's that's why really I like great, the David so. Hemphill one time lifetime. I'm digging it. <laughs> price. Well, you know, yours is it. Yours is in a similar ish spot, right? Because I mean, it's gonna be their Stripe account, yeah. right, or your Stripe account? Uh, that's Stripe undecided. Account. It kind of interesting. Oh. That's a topic for another podcast, I think. But right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that 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 is a tricky decision. It's mostly from a legal perspective. There's like a difference between being a payment gateway and being a reseller, and the tax mm, implications. Yep. So being a reseller means Ooh. I can ta- handle all the tax burden for you. I and I'll just collect ca- right. tax as a Canadian business, so you don't have to worry about it. Right. You get paid a royalty. Yeah, you're safe right. from the tax man. Yeah. Um. Right. So that's interesting, but then. I have to say, well, there's this percentage fee, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. So, anyways. You have to other... make sure those are constantly updated and accurate yeah. and all that so stuff. So that's a whole into. other conversation for mm. sure. But Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to you guys having that <laughs> podcast. That, that'll be cool, man. That kind of stuff. Well, we've been going that's way too long, I think. Uh, that's perfect. Uh, so perfect Michael Dirinda or Dirinda or however you pronounce that crazy Australian's last yeah. name, we'll need to... <laughs> edit this conversation so the, the audience should uh send him nice vibes but uh yeah anyways <laughs> it's been a blast having you uh back on dude it's always yeah, fun to be able to chat with you about this stuff and i'm glad i have someone in my network to talk to these things about <laughs> that has some experience there so thanks again for coming on and chatting with us about this stuff yeah thanks guys thanks for having me on and uh, good luck with everything keep us all in the loop so we know what's going on yeah so what's the best way for people to keep up with uh with news about I guess mostly thermostat or uh, if someone wants to check out any of the help spot stuff or just what you're doing, what's the best way to keep yep. in touch? I think like, you know, on Twitter, I'm Ian Landsman at Twitter is the uh, <laughs> traditional way. And definitely check out thermostat.io is the new thing. If you want to check that out. Um, yeah, those will be, both be good. There's an email sign up there so you can sign up. I've actually been trying something new, which is a whole separate podcast of like writing emails to a list that are like, I've only done one so far, but like more like a personal email. Like the list uh, is just gonna be like more personal ish so i don't know the first one worked there was like a high open rate and like people really liked it so i don't know we'll see but i'll come back i'll come back and talk about that yeah we'll do an email Mm. conversation sometime for sure yeah that'll be that'll be something cool all right thanks guys all right thanks man see you